If you love Snapped, Women Who Murder, you're going to love listening to true crime or mystery titles on Audible. The audio title I'm diving into again is one of my favorites to revisit, Mindhunter by John Douglas and Mark Ulshaker. Even if you think you know the details of the cases, former FBI unit chief John Douglas took on from documentaries or the scripted show, the audio title goes above and beyond in bringing you along with him in his career, trying to catch serial killers and serial perpetrators. He used psychological profiling to dive into the minds of notorious criminals. The title includes his hunt for a killer in Alaska, the Green River Killer, and so much more. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog. It is the home of storytelling after all. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash snapped or text snapped to 500-500. That's audible.com slash snapped or text snapped to 500-500. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. They were an unlikely couple who offered their home to anyone in need. They both cared about my kids and let us live there with them. It was a, you know, a homey environment, and he was always welcome there. They invited a friend to come back to the house and stay with him for a while because he didn't have a place to stay. But the welcoming household is shattered by a deadly crime. Somebody was either mad or pissed off or, or angry with him. The amount of shots fired suggests that the killer had a vendetta against the victim. As investigators search for a killer, a stunning secret is exposed. He had never told his family that she was pregnant. Living under one roof like that, there's little things there that just you can't hide. And the ultimate betrayal of friendship is at the heart of a bizarre murder plot. They milk the venom from the rattlesnake, put it in his food. This is a situation that's probably as old as time. You have someone who has something that someone else wants. In Waverly, Alabama, friends and family take care of one another above all else. On the afternoon of September 8th, 2013, relatives are extending a helping hand to Carl and Angela Dickinson. Angela had just gone into the hospital and just had gave birth to a baby. Her family and friends, they were directed to go get a car seat from the home and some other um, clothing items and other stuff. Angela's husband, Carl, had been on a long haul trucking route for several days. Carl was gone a good little bit of the time. He was only there maybe a week or two at a time for holidays or something like that. Angela's sister, Sabrina Murphy, heads inside the couple's house to snag the baby necessities. But something out of the ordinary catches her attention. Walking up through the driveway and through the garage, the interior door was standing open. Sabrina cautiously enters the home. 
when you go through the garage door, there's a laundry room and then another door adjacent, which is the kitchen. Carl Dickens's body was laying in the kitchen floor. Sabrina called 911 and told them that need to send somebody quick. They didn't know if Carl had committed suicide or what had happened. At 3.17 p.m., all units in Lee County are dispatched to Carl and Angela's house. I got a phone call that there was a possible homicide um, up in Waverly and that we all needed to pretty much respond and address it. Investigators are met by Sabrina and two men who identify themselves as Angela's stepfather, Jesse Bach, and a friend, Paul Phillips. From there, we transported Paul, Jesse, and Sabrina uh, to the Lee County Sheriff's Office for interviews. For someone to come into his house and do something like that, I was kind of in shock. I didn't know what to think. Fifty-nine-year-old Carl Dickinson was born and raised in Lee County, Alabama. One of five children, he learned to appreciate family values at an early age. Probably the thing that he enjoyed most was just family get-togethers for cookouts, um, whether it was just somebody's birthday, um, holiday, or even just picking a day to get together and eating and sitting around talking. Carl was one of the best cooks I've ever met in my life. He could cook like you've never seen. A country boy through and through, Carl grew up fishing and hunting on the rural land around his home. But when it came to reeling in the right woman, he wasn't so lucky. His first relationship, I guess you could say they were kind of high school sweethearts. They wound up getting a divorce. After some time, um, my brother um, met someone else. They were married for several years, and they wound up getting a divorce. Twice divorced by his mid-40s, Carl was enjoying the bachelor life. He had a steady income as a truck driver and his own personal dream house. He had been wanting to build his own home for a long time, and he built that home from his own two hands. He took a lot of pride in his home and the things that he did. And in 2002, Carl fell for 19-year-old Angela Webb. Carl had initially dated Angela's mother at one time, and that's how they all knew each other. When their relationship ended, Carl and Angela's relationship kind of blossomed. Like Carl, Angela grew up in rural Alabama. Beautiful blonde hair, some beautiful blue eyes. I mean, a very beautiful young lady. She was the pageant queen, and she was the cheerleader. Angela was always the mothering type. Like, she was the one we'd call if we, if we had a problem or if we needed help. The same strength Angela provided her siblings, she found for herself in the much older Carl Dickinson. I think what Angela seen in Carl was stability. You know, when you really needed someone, Carl was that person you could go to. 
naturally. The 20 years or so age difference between her and my brother was a concern, but at the same time, there are people who have a larger age difference than that that have been in a relationship and been happy for a long time. Despite their age difference, by the end of 2002, Angela and Carl tied the knot. I think the happiest time for him was probably the day that he and Angela got married. Angela moved into Carl's house with him. She had a good life. She seemed happy with Carl. He seemed happy as well. It was hard for him to believe that he had this beautiful young lady that wanted to be with him. And then he wasn't having to be alone anymore either. The Dickinsons lived with an open door policy, sharing their happy home with anyone in need. I couldn't afford to get my own house, so I called my sister and asked her and Carl could we move over there, and they didn't care, so I was grateful he cared about my kids and let us live there with them. They bought them clothes, they bought them things for their rooms. They treated them like they were their own children. Kids and family made Angela happy, I think. She was more happy when she was around them. And in 2006, the couple's generosity extended beyond family when Carl's co-worker, Paul Phillips, needed help. Carl Dickinson and Paul Phillips met in truck driving school. They were a team, and they would be able to swap out driving. But when Carl got a new job with another company, the company didn't do team driving, and so Paul couldn't come with them. Carl invited Paul to come back to the house and stay with him for a while because he didn't have a place to stay. Him and Carl seemed to be best friends. They would go hunting together. They would go fishing together. With six people living there, Angela and Carl were happy to have a full house. From time to time, they also took in Angela's brother, Jake Bartlett. Carl and them would let a lot of people move in and stay a little while till they got on their feet, and then they'd move out. They cared about people when it mattered the most. It was a, you know, a homey environment, and he was always welcome there. In 2013, news of another future member of the household came when Angela found out she was pregnant. She didn't have her own kids, and when she finally did get pregnant, that's what she wanted. She was happy she was finally having a baby. But that happiness is shattered on September 8th, 2013. Lee County emergency responders confirm that Carl Dickinson has been shot to death, and detectives begin surveying the scene. The first thing we noticed when we walked to the house was there were multiple 22 caliber shell casings in the garage. The shell casings continued in a path into the kitchen. That indicates that the shooting started at the garage door and walked away into the kitchen. Officers collect 19 casings in total, 14 from inside the house and five from the carport. He fell pretty much right where he was shot, and whoever the killer was stood over him and finished him off. 
that's a symbol of rage and most definitely wanting that person to die. The amount of shots fired suggests that the killer had a vendetta against Carl Dickinson. Coming up, detectives focus on Carl's inner circle in search of a motive. It's definitely overkill to be able to look into someone's eyes like that. And Carl's wife stuns detectives with a revealing break in the case. Is it one of those stories where love triangle went bad? On September 8th, 2013, as crime scene tape barricades the once welcoming home of Carl and Angela Dickinson, word of the 59-year-old's murder spreads through the close-knit community. Carl was part of our family. I just, I, I couldn't believe, I still can't believe it, honestly. You're kind of in a fog a little bit and trying to grasp what just happened, knowing where this is about to go as far as um, having an investigation and how lengthy it could be in trying to find out who actually, you know, kills your, 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 your brother. Lee County investigators send Carl's body to the state lab for an autopsy, then continue scouring the scene. We found a mark on the back door inside of the garage that appeared to be from a, a screwdriver or some type of metal object. We were able to locate an orange-handled screwdriver, and we photographed it along with the damage on the door frame. Throughout the home, there are more telltale signs of a burglary gone wrong. Property strewn about, a toolbox knocked over, BB guns out of the gun cabinet laying on the floor, pillow cushions on the floor. It appeared to be a forced entry, burglary slash robbery gone bad. The residence looked as if it had been ransacked. However, nothing was missing. All items of value were still there, including the victim's wallet, flat screen TVs. It just appeared like it was a setup. We did not know who the suspect was at the time, but we did have an idea that it's going to be someone close to him. It's definitely overkill. To shoot someone multiple times in the face is a personal, it's a personal feeling anyway. Um, to be able to look into someone's eyes like that. With the clock ticking, investigators divide and conquer. We kind of spread out. Half went to the scene and half came to the office. At the sheriff's office, they start with the 911 caller, Sabrina Murphy. She was the one that initially made contact with the victim. We start to obtain information. What happened? How did you find this victim? You know, what were the circumstances leading up to that? Sabrina explains she'd been helping Angela at the hospital while Carl was away for work. Sabrina wanted to go get the car seat, and she was surprised by finding Carl. Her reactions were genuine. She appeared to be appropriately upset. She was very adamant that 
the victim had not possibly killed himself. Sabrina says that Paul Phillips and Jesse Bach were also visiting the hospital and accompanied her to Carl and Angela's home. Jesse Bach was Angela's, for lack of a better term, stepfather, father figure. He had briefly been married to her mother at one time. Um, they had recently maintained a father-daughter relationship. Jesse Bach, he was in some type of nursing home or something like that. Paul Phillips went to Florida, picked up Jesse Bach, brought him back. In a separate room, Jesse confirms that Paul Phillips arrived at his place in Florida on Friday afternoon, then brought him back to Alabama, where they stayed at the hospital with Angela. He said they were at the hospital, and then Paul wanted to go back to the house. He, he rode back to the house with Paul and Sabrina. Paul said that Sabrina went into the house, immediately started screaming, came out screaming, and Paul went in halfway and confirmed that Carl was dead. The group's statements are consistent, but offer no leads. Paul or Sabrina or Jesse didn't have any suspects that they thought might be responsible for it. We questioned them about that. So we all was just shocked. We didn't know what was going on. He cared about people, you know. Nobody deserves that kind of thing to happen to them. After concluding their interviews, detectives immediately set out for East Alabama Medical Center. We went to the hospital to talk to Angela. We told her that her husband was deceased. When she understood that, she had a breakdown. Her demeanor was as anybody should have been, you know, crying and, and that sort of thing. She said that she had no idea who, ha who could have done it or even if he had any problems with anybody. Once she calms down, Angela explains that she's been in the hospital since going into labor three days ago. She can't be the person who's killed her husband when she's literally in the hospital giving life herself. She got there like about 5 o'clock Thursday afternoon, and then she had the baby the next day on the 6th. She says she's been trying to reach Carl the entire time. Angela told us she called maybe four times and did not get a hold of him. She did not think that was super strange because he's a truck driver and he could be out on the road without service. Detectives ask Angela about any guns that may be missing from the home. She says that she doesn't have anything. They had recently, within the last month, pawned all of their guns to make money. So there was no guns in the house, only BB guns. Detectives ask Angela why Carl would be out of town while she was giving birth. That's when Angela drops a bomb. We found out that Paul was actually the father of Angela's baby. She says she's married to Carl. She says that she has a baby by Paul and that he is okay with all this. My feelings at that moment were, oh, no, this, <laughs> something's going on. There, there's more to this than that. 
is it one of those stories where love triangle went bad? You just have to kind of see where the evidence leads you. Coming up, investigators uncover a peculiar lifestyle. You don't ever truly know what happens behind closed doors. Sometimes there is a story that is just so crazy that you can't make it up. As a SNAP listener, you know the world can be a dangerous and unpredictable place. With every case I learn about, I'm reminded how much I want to prioritize my vigilance and preparation. That's why I use and recommend Simply Safe Home Security. My cameras have alerted me about trespassers and even given me a sense of security knowing my home is safe even when I'm not there. Simply Safe offers protection for the whole house with advanced sensors that not only detect break-ins, but fires, floods, and other threats to your home and getting you the help you need for each scenario. The indoor security cameras offer privacy shutters to ensure physical privacy when you want it. Plus, you can try Simply Safe for 60 days risk-free. If you don't love it, return your system for a full refund. Simply Safe has given me and many of my listeners real peace of mind. I want you to have it too. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com/snapped. That's simplysafe.com/snapped. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Whoa, Memorial Day. That means summer is here, and if you're struggling to get in shape and lose weight, I'm about to change your life. I'm Carl, the CEO of Body. That's B O D I, and I don't like working out and eating healthy either. So here's how I get myself to do it. I make myself own the morning. And by the morning, I mean the first hour or so of every day, dedicated to my results and my health. And man, does it work. Every day, I get out of bed, drink a health shake, and then I go crush a workout from one of the 120 programs on the Body app and just follow along day by day. So here's my special offer to you. Because it's Memorial Day and I want you to get started now, the next 5,000 new subscribers who sign up for 6 months get the next 6 months free. That's full access to over 120 programs. So don't wait. See how fast the pounds can really come off. And if they don't, you can get your money back no questions asked. Just go to body.com to buy 6 months and get the next 6 free. That's b o d i.com. Lee County authorities are less than 24 hours into the investigation of Carl Dickinson's murder, and his wife Angela has just revealed a shocking twist. Angela was married to Carl, but Angela was having Paul's baby, and that the relationship was weird, but that it worked. According to Angela, Carl was okay with Angela being pregnant with Paul's baby because. Carl couldn't give her a baby, so to speak. And while Carl was away on long trips as a truck driver, Angela says Paul kept her company in more ways than one. After a while of him being there for so long, when Carl was gone and stuff, he was with Angela. It was like they were a couple too. She was very nonchalant about the whole situation, about the baby and. Who it belonged to, and still being married to Carl. She was like, "I wanted him to be here when the baby came," and we're just like, "Really? You wanted your husband there when you gave birth to your boyfriend's child?" Both Angela and Paul have solid alibis for the weekend. She was in the hospital giving birth, and Paul was with Angela's stepfather in another state. We actually 
verified his alibi to that point, and sure enough, he had been down there to Florida. In search of a lead, investigators begin questioning Carl's friends and family. And suspicions surface about one of Carl's nephews, Mike Smith. Mike Smith's name came up. He had been to Carl's residence, and they naturally assumed that with his history of drug abuse, that he may have gotten mad at Carl and did something. When investigators bring him in on September 9th for an interview, Mike seems shocked by the news of his uncle's murder. He advised that he had not seen or heard from his uncle in over a year. We asked him, did he have guns? Did he have a 22 caliber? He said, yes, he had guns, but he was in a different place at the time of the homicide. We ruled him out as a suspect because he was nowhere in the area at the time of the murder. With one lead off the table, the arrival of autopsy results that afternoon confirms investigators' suspicions. Carl Dickinson had been shot 18 times in the chest, neck, and head area. One or two would have done the trick for him. There was no need to shoot him that many times. It almost makes you think that there's an emotion involved with it, and there's somebody was either mad or pissed off or, or angry with him. The autopsy also provides important information about the time frame of Carl's murder. The date that he was killed, actually, was September the 5th, and that was the day that his wife, Angela, was going into the hospital to be induced. Phone records confirm Angela's claim that she'd been incessantly trying to get a hold of Carl while at the hospital. But they also reveal something else. As the investigation was unfolding, we found through phone records that Angela was calling Paul Phillips on the phone the day of the murder. She would in turn call her husband, Carl Dickinson. Detectives consider the possibility that these phone calls were made to track Carl's whereabouts on the day he was killed, casting suspicion on Paul and Angela. What we started doing at that point was anybody who was associated with Carl Dickinson or Angela Dickinson, we started bringing them in for interviews. As detectives question Carl's family, they discover one major inconsistency with Angela's story. Carl got the vasectomy um, while he was um, married before. He had decided that he did not want to have children. When we spoke to Carl's family members and told them that Angela was pregnant, they were all in shock. Nobody had ever mentioned Angela being pregnant. It was always that she had some kind of medical issue that was making her stomach swell. According to family, Carl was worried she had a tumor. That's the reason why her stomach was so big, because she had a tumor and they didn't know what they were going to do. He had never told his family that she was pregnant. He told them that he was trying to work overtime to make money so that he could help Angela with her medical bills because he thought she had cancer. How do you go for nine months and your husband's family thinks you have some kind of medical issue and you hide it wearing big shirts and big baggy clothing and you continue to tell your husband 
that you have a tumor. I mean, that's just unheard of. You don't ever truly know what happens behind closed doors. Sometimes that there is a story that is just so crazy that you can't make it up. Investigators turn to Angela's friends and family for more information about the household dynamic. Angela and Paul, after they started having sex, they was never separated. If one person was doing something, the other person was doing it. Paul didn't have a job. He didn't have family around because he was from somewhere else. So he was there at Angela's, and that's all he had. Angela's family tells investigators their hunch was that Carl had finally had enough. I think that he felt a little uneasy about Paul being there. Carl got tired of Paul and made him move out. But Paul didn't exactly leave. When Carl would go to work in his truck, Paul would stay with Angela inside of the house. When Angela knew that Carl was coming home, Paul would literally leave the house and sleep in the woods. There was a trailer, the old trailer on the side of their property. I mean, this went on a while. When Carl was in town, he was staying in a trailer, didn't have water or power or anything. And I think Carl figured everything out. Living under one roof like that, you know, there's little things there that just you can't hide. According to friends and family, the situation had reached a boiling point. And Paul and Angela began discussing cutting Carl out of the picture for good. We had a relative of Angela's that told us that Angela had tried to do something to Carl before. She was able to acquire some pain pills. She would crush it up, put it into his food. I don't know what her intentions were behind that, but it did not do anything to him. She told family members and friends that she would crush up pills and put them in his food, but it would only make him sleep. That's when Angela and Paul resorted to desperate measures. They picked up a dead rattlesnake off the side of the road. They milked the venom from the rattlesnake, put it in Carl Dickinson's food. Unfortunately for the lovebirds, the venomous murder plot didn't work. It made him sick, but it didn't kill him. That is not how you're going to kill somebody with a rattlesnake venom. I don't know how many plans that you have to go through once you get a rattlesnake and try to milk it. I don't know that you can even make that up um, without hearing that story. Detectives know it's not plausible that Angela would be capable of taking down Carl by herself. She couldn't have been the one to kill her husband because she was in the hospital giving birth to her boyfriend's baby. The ultimate alibi. So now it was time to go talk to Paul. We just knew that if we could get him to start that ball rolling, then we could find out what happened. Coming up, Paul comes clean about the affair, but investigators encounter another twist. He says, well, OK, I was there, but I didn't shoot him. And we were like, holy shit. 
Alabama authorities have reason to believe Carl Dickinson's murder may be connected to his wife's affair. Now they have Carl's former best friend in their sights. On September 10th, they sit down with Paul Phillips again. Paul had been transported to the sheriff's office and placed in one of our interview rooms. He was a little nervous, but he wasn't shaking like a tree. Of course, we just asked him flat blank, right out in front of him, did he do it? And he says, no. Paul reiterates his original statement, that he was not even in Alabama at the time of the murder. But the autopsy revealed Carl was killed days before Paul left for Florida. The incident happened on September 5th. Paul had left for Florida after the incident. He knew that the game was over. We weren't going away. We know he was involved and he just needed to tell the story. Paul Phillips was the kind of guy that if you just treat him like you want to be treated and you talk to him just right, that he would tell you just about anything. I think that's why he opened up so quickly. Paul was in love with Angela. Paul wanted to have a family with Angela and his new baby. He wanted Carl gone. To help achieve his dream, Paul says he enlisted Angela's half-brother, Jake Bartlett. He said that Jake Bartlett knew a guy that would actually kill Carl Dickinson. Paul says that after Jake connected him with a hitman named Trap, he finally put his plan into action on September 5th. Paul describes that he goes over to the house with Jake and Trap. He had admitted that they used an orange handle screwdriver to make it look like somebody um, forced entry into the back door. Then, Paul says he handed Trap a 22 caliber rifle from Carl's safe. And the three men laid in wait for their target. There's a trailer on the property and Jake was also hiding behind the trailer along with Trap. And then uh, Paul was in the garage ducking down. Carl had parked his truck where he always parks, and he walked into the house. Paul said that when Carl started walking into the house, Trap ran up behind him with a rifle and started shooting. So his confession was pointing the finger at Trap as being the trigger puller. Right after the murder, Paul Phillips took off. He was trying to create an alibi for his whereabouts during the time of the murder. Paul had left for Florida. He picked up Jesse. He brought Jesse back to show his story that he was in Florida. Jesse had no association with anything that's going on. Paul also remains adamant about Angela's innocence. 
he was kind of laying himself out as the sacrifice and saying, okay, Angela had nothing to do with this. It was all me. Officers arrest Paul and lock him up in the Lee County Jail. We immediately make plans to try to identify who the other subjects are. We had Jake Bartlett's name, so we immediately start running his information down. We found Jake Bartlett at his home in Notasauga, Alabama. We picked him up, brought him into the office. Jake insists he had nothing to do with his brother-in-law's murder. He wasn't coming off of it. We were pushing and pushing and pushing. And he finally said, okay. He said, I was there, but I'm not the one that shot him. And we were like, holy <laughs> You know, he just said he was there. Like Paul, Jake pins the shooting on Trap. Jake also gives investigators Trap's real name. We found that his real name was Travis Kyles. We also found that Travis Kyle's family in Tuskegee, Alabama, made a missing persons report on him just after the homicide occurred. Jake Bartlett and Paul Phillips' statements were, were pretty much the same. But there is one notable difference. Jake told us that Angela was the mastermind behind the plan. We kind of figured that she was involved already, that just made us believe it even more. According to Jake, Angela had been asking him to help her kill Carl for months, and Angela's bounty on Carl's head is how Jake convinced Trapp to join the plot. He also admitted that Angela offered him Carl's 401k plan. Jake had offered to give Trapp some money. They were gonna split the 401k from Carl. This is according to Jake. She was going to pay $4,000 from his 401k plan, give him the keys to a red F-150 1977 truck and an old Monte Carlo that was on the property. Jake also says that Angela played a key role on the day of the murder, something that is backed up by cell phone evidence. Angela was calling Carl back to back on the phone, finding out when he was going to be home, what time he was getting home, and she was relaying to Paul Phillips the times when Carl was supposed to be home. The overall plan was that once Angela went into labor to have the baby, that was basically go time. Investigators arrest Jake on murder charges and then set their sights on Angela. We didn't know how deep it went, but we knew she had something to do with it. Coming up, officers reel in the alleged mastermind. She was trying to play the sweet, innocent person. And the search continues for a fugitive. Anytime we're going after a suspect who has committed murder already, we consider them armed and dangerous. Phillips and Jake Bartlett have admitted to recruiting a trigger man to kill Carl Dickinson. And investigators believe Carl's wife, Angela, was the mastermind behind the whole plan. There was no evidence at all that tells us that Carl knew that she was pregnant. 
As a matter of fact, he always told his family that she had a medical issue. He thought she had cancer. We believe that she came up with this elaborate scheme to have people to kill Carl because uh, she did not want him to know that she was pregnant. She planned this whole thing so that the murder would happen on the day that she went to the hospital to be induced with Paul's baby. It's almost as if Angela having the baby was a catalyst for them to start their new life together and to be a family. Only three days after the murder of Carl, on September 11, 2013, with a warrant in hand, Lee County deputies track Angela to the local health department. We was at the health department trying to get the baby to social security card. And next thing I know, just police started coming through the front door with the guns out. She was a little bit surprised. She was upset. She was just like, my baby, my baby. But, you know, there was nothing nobody could do. At the station, investigators sit down with Angela in an interview room. She was just still denying, denying, denying. Angela's demeanor was this of a meek, sweet girl. She seemed to be very deceptive at what she was trying to tell us. Each interview, she would come off with a little bit more information than the previous interview. It was almost like pulling teeth. And then she started portraying Carl as the bad guy and kind of deflecting any, any role that she had in it. So we just flat out told her, you're going to tell us the truth this time. And she broke down. Angela, in her second statement, would say that Carl was abusive to her verbally. Carl would dog cuss her and treat her like trash. According to Angela, both Paul and Jake had witnessed the verbal abuse, but there's one problem with her claim. There were no prior domestic violence cases or any reports that where she had reported any type of domestic situation. Detectives have another theory about the timing of Carl's murder. Once she got pregnant, she didn't know how to get out of it. When the baby is born, something has to be done. And so it became the, uh, the timer, if you will. That's when Angela enlisted her half-brother's help. Jay, he had a soft spot for Angela. He liked to protect her. She was surrounded by men that just wanted to protect her. Angela was the little devil on the shoulder talking to Paul and Jake and getting them to do her will. She admitted that she was basically behind the whole idea of Carl being killed. Angela is cuffed and escorted to Lee County lockup. But investigators aren't finished. They still have to find the alleged shooter for hire, Travis Kyles, AKA Trap. He was put in the nationwide system as a bolo, as a missing person. Anytime we're going after a suspect who has committed murder already, we consider them armed and dangerous. The US Marshals ended up locating him in Atlanta. There was no incident. Um, he didn't give him any problems at the time. He went with him to the Atlanta PD. 
I sent a couple of my investigators up to Atlanta and they took him and interviewed him. On October 2nd, nearly a month after the murder, police finally get Trapp's side of the story. He admitted that he was there at the time of the homicide, but he said that he was outside and that the garage door was closed. Well, there's no garage door on the garage. He puts himself there, but he does not admit to being the trigger puller. Trapp doesn't offer any further information about the murder, but the admission of his presence at the murder scene is enough for detectives to arrest him. Once he said that, it was like, okay, we're on that right track. We're, we've got that core group. So we were glad about that. Angela Dickinson, Travis Kyles, Paul Phillips, and Jake Bartlett all face capital murder charges. There was so much evidence, and you have the confessions from all parties. I don't believe there would have been any doubt if this case would have gone to trial. But none of the defendants would see a Lee County jury. They all pled guilty to murder, and each one got 30 years in prison. The way they killed Carl, the way they planned it, and then executed it, I think 30 years is light. They still have the opportunity at some point to, to be walking free. My brother doesn't have that opportunity anymore. They took that from him. I'm not gonna say he was a perfect person because none of us are. But you know, in the end of the day, Carl was a good person. He 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 was took care of his family. He worked, and he he cared about people. This is a situation that's probably as old as time. You have someone who has something that someone else wants. Carl lost his life. Four people are in prison, and a child was born into this world and no longer has their mother or father because they're serving time for killing a man that should never have died. She's missing out on her son, and we're missing out on him. And you know, she's just missing life pretty much. Angela and Paul's son is in the custody of a family member of Paul's. The four accused are currently housed in different prisons around Alabama. Angela is serving time at the Birmingham Community Work Center and is eligible for parole in 2028. She will be 46 years old. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500.